0: What do you what do you do when life comes crashing down? I mean, everything you planned, everything you thought you'd finally gotten on track, you understood where you were going, everything was coming in place, and all of a sudden it crumbles at your feet. I mean the job, you were there, you were climbing the corporate ladder, you had the system figured out, you were the golden guy golden gal and now the economy slows down and they're doing layoffs and it it, it sounds ultra conservative and over reactionary but it doesn't matter because your name's on the list your daughter calls and she's moving in with her boyfriend There's not going to be any white dresses there's not going to be any walking down the aisle and everything you dreamed and everything you planned The doctor says, you can't have kids. You can't. And, and that whole white picket fence and 2.5 children, and, and it's gone. It's gone. You were dating him, and you knew, you knew, you knew. He was the guy. I mean, your heart told you, this is the one. And then he told you, you're not. What do you do? What do you do when everything you planned, everything that you thought you knew about life and everything you'd hoped and dreamed for and it was just within grasp and everything was on track and now it falls at your feet and suddenly you begin to realize not only is it not going to happen, it can't happen. That circumstances have come along that things have moved into place that there's no way from here to get to there. Somewhere in your heart you begin to recover from the shock and then becomes an incredible sense of disappointment. And if you're not careful, anger, that this could happen in my life. As we study in the life of David, David comes to that moment in his life. Matter of fact, uh, David today is going to be run out of the kingdom on the backside of a mule. And everything he had thought, everything he'd lived his life for, everything he'd planned, he thought it was all done. He was old by now. He he figured he'd already done his laps and set himself up. He was moving on to retirement. And suddenly his entire world comes crashing down on him in an instant. And he realizes as he rides out of the kingdom, as his own son has overthrown him, that everything he dreamed not only isn't going to happen, it can't happen from here. And in that moment that you and I would probably expect to be one of those down moments in the life of David, you know, we've, this whole series has been surprising because here's a guy who scripture describes and says was a man after God's own heart and yet his life is kind of like a heartbeat. I mean, he's been on again and off again with God and he's done some stuff that we just go, wow. How can a guy do that and be called a man after God's own heart? And I believe the answer is what David's going to do this week in this moment and what he's going to do next week as we're together are so powerful, so incredible, so indicative of the fact that David finally figures God out. The Scripture is able to say, and David was a man after God's own heart. This Sunday and next Sunday are incredible redeeming moments in the life of David, which is huge for some of us because some of our Christian walks look a little bit like David. And we've got some past stuff. And the idea that it could be redeemed, the idea that we could still live for God from here is amazing. So here's what I want us to grab our Bibles this morning and take a look at what David does in this moment because he's going to say two things. And the two things that he says in the moment when his whole world falls apart demonstrate the incredible, incredible, incredible change that's happened in this man's life and the depth of understanding that he has about God. And if you and I could find a way to say the two things that David says in our moments When life is falling apart, when everything we plan is coming crashing, if we could say what he said, it would open a door of grace in our lives. The truth is, some of us have come here today and we are struggling, struggling, struggling because we've already had that moment. We've already struggled with God when all of a sudden our plans came crashing down. And the truth is, some of us walked in the door today angry that God would let it happen, that God was asleep when it did, if we could learn to say what David said when the kingdom was snatched and his world came crumbling down, it would change everything for us. His story is in 2 Samuel, chapter 15. If you're not real familiar with your Bibles, if you'll go to the front of your Bible, start working to the right, you're going to find this book of 2 Samuel. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're turning there some of you that have been here for the series, you've gotten bits and pieces of this. Let's put it all in place. This is after the Bathsheba. Matter of fact, the truth is David's well-aged by the time this happens. And subsequently, after his incident with Bathsheba, later on in life, his son Amnon falls in love with his half-sister. See, David had multiple wives, and so a lot of half-brother, half-sister thing going on in the palace. And Amnon falls in love with his half-sister Tamar. And he is just smitten with her. I mean, he cannot think about anything night or day except his sister. And so he comes up with this plan. And what he does is he pretends to be sick. And he goes to his father and he says, Look, Dad, I am am so sick. Would you just send Tamar to take care of me and to nurse me until I get well again? And David was like, Why not? And so Tamar comes in, and Amnon forces himself upon her. And Scripture, it's kind of interesting, says, and the moment he does that, his heart turns. And he can't stand to look at her. And he throws her out of the room. Tamar's full brother is a guy by the name of Absalom. And Absalom hears about what has happened, and he is furious. The truth is, David hears and the scripture says, and David is furious that Amnon has done this. And although scripture doesn't fill in the blanks, so we don't know for sure what happened, but in my mind, here's the, I picture David walking down the hallway in the palace, heading for Amnon's room, ready to just absolutely go after his son for this wickedness. And somewhere about halfway down that hallway, he says to himself, oh no. What my son just did is not that different from what I did. And although I didn't force Bathsheba, I surely intimidated and manipulated. And I took someone that I had no business taking. And I believe David stops in the hall, turns, and goes back to his room. Absalom, his son, is furious out of his mind. Now, not only because of what Amnon's done, but even more furious with his father for his impotence, for his inability to respond and do anything. And so, Absalom, because he is a cunning man and a patient man, waits. Scripture tells us he waits two years. And then he throws this big party. The harvest had come in. They're throwing a big kind of post harvest feast. And he invites his half brother, Amnon. And Amnon thinks to himself, well, apparently all's forgiven. Apparently we've forgotten. You know, the past is the past. He goes to the feast with his brother Absalom. And in the middle of the feast, Absalom has his men rise up and kill Amnon. So now he's murdered his brother. Absalom flees. David will have absolutely nothing to do with him. A couple years pass and finally David says, okay, you can, uh, you can come back to the kingdom. I'm just not going to talk to you. So Absalom there lives in the palace and David refuses to talk to him. then after a few more years, David restores him. Truth be known, Absalom was actually David's favorite. And if you could have gone to David ahead of time and asked him, he would have said, look, Amnon's in line. Amnon's the firstborn. He's going to be king. But if I could pick, I'd pick Absalom. He is so much smarter. He is so much more capable of a leader. And so in this weird kind of backwards way, David goes, wow. Absalom, still furious that his dad didn't do anything about the original problem, but even more disdaining his dad that his dad hasn't even confronted him about what he did. And he thinks to himself, my dad is completely incompetent to be king. So here's what Absalom does. He sets himself at the gate of the city. Now why this is huge is this. In that day, that's where judges sat. They would sit at the gate of the city and that's where they would hear their cases. So Absalom sets himself up as a judge of Israel and hears the cases of people as they're coming with disputes. And what he does, because Absalom is a cunning man and a patient man, is he makes sure as he decides each case that he decides it in such a way that people will owe him big time. And for years, he sits there at the gate, leveraging the hearts of men and women, making sure that they will feel affection and thankfulness to him. And if you had gone to the people of Israel and said, Hey, what do you think about David? What do you think about Absalom? They would have said, Well, we respect David. I mean, you know, he's the elderly statesman king. But we love Absalom. And in this moment, we join the story. It's in 2 Samuel Chapter 15, verse 10. And the plot and the plan of Absalom begins to come to fruition. Here's what it says. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. And while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Othophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, to come from Galo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee for none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly and overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. And the king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him. Get this scene. And and don't listen to this story as a king. Listen to this story as a Father, your son under your very nose has just plotted your overthrow and not only has he plotted it he has just done it and you have suddenly realized in a moment the hearts of your people are with him And in the process of doing that, he has just placed your entire lives in a a moment that is completely untenable. There is no recovery from this moment. Think about this. If David stays and fights, then it means probably in all likelihood someone dies. So Absalom dies, so now the heir to the throne is dead. Or David dies. Or at the very least, they capture Absalom, so now he has to be tried as a traitor. And here is David now, and he goes, and even at the best of that, if we fight each other, and we kill our own people in our own nation, what do you think the Philistines are going to do? They're going to rush in and take over the country. And so David in a moment says, there's, there's nothing left but to run. And think about the heart of David as he jumps on, and apparently without time, jumps on the back of a donkey and begins to ride away from his palace, his entire household following him, and scripture tells us, and the people of Jerusalem lined the streets and wept as he rides out of town. What do you do in a moment when suddenly life comes crashing in and you realize it is not going to turn out like I planned. Every dream, every hope I had, just got shattered. And not only is it not going to turn out how I planned, it can't. It can't. See, some of us have been here. Some of us look back at our childhood and we say, no, no, I I know how my childhood should have been. And I know how it was. Some of us have have had moments in our marriage where we looked across at the person on the other side of the table and said I don't see any way to get to happily ever after from here some of us have raised our kids and we, we thought we did it right, we did everything scripture told us as best we understood and now they are out living lives of absolute chaos and making decisions that we go, those decisions are going to be with them for a lot. how do you get there from here Some of us had the job we always dreamed of. Some of us applied to the college only to get the letter back that said no. And in that moment, in that moment, if we're not careful, our disappointment turns to frustration, turns to absolute anger. With God, How how could God let this happen? Isn't that the next logical question? And if you're here today and you're someone who still hasn't figured out God and you're still trying to figure out where God is in your life and that's still kind of an unknown, then you're probably saying to yourself, all I know is this, if there is a God, He owes me a talk. I'd like to give Him a piece of my mind because He is really messing things up. And here you just just need to hear me say this. It's going to sound really, really weird. But can I tell you that sometimes God allows you and I to lose our world in order to get our attention? See, sometimes we're so busy building our own kingdom and designing our own world that we don't have any place for God. And sometimes God just says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's see if you'll talk with me if you don't have that. And sometimes, believe it or not, as strange as this sounds, the kindest thing God does is take away our world. Some of us in this room, though, are believers. Probably most of us in this room are believers. We're at a different place because we're going, Hey, I know this is God's fault. See, I mean, I mean, I know it is because here, here's the deal. Either He let it happen, which was really stupid, or, or... It was happening, and he chose not to intervene. And he's big enough, and he's strong enough, and he's smart enough, so when all this was happening to me, where was he? And I think I am just mad. Matter of fact, if you're not careful, you'll have one of two reactions to this moment. Reaction number one, if this is what it means to serve God, and if God can go asleep at the wheel on me and, and if God can let junk like this happen without my approval, I'm done. I'm done. There's, and, and here's what we think to ourselves. There's nothing that could happen to me in rebelling from God and telling God to take a hike that's any worse than I feel right now. So, God, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm through. See, here's here's the deal. I waited. I waited for a good, godly person to come into my life so I could marry him. And now I'm 40. (laughs) I told the truth. And they fired me. And if this is how it turns out, and if this is what it means for you to be in control, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done. And our hearts want to grab the... Because everybody say, you know what? I can find me a man. If you can't, God, I can. <laughs> Maybe a little scruffy on the edges, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> you can't find me a job. I'll find me a job. I'll fix it and then, you know what, when I'm done fixing it, you and I will talk about whether or not I can ever trust you again. But right now, I'm fixing your mess. Thank you very much. God. <laughs> Second reaction it's what I call the teen reaction. You ready for it? Send me, you guys remember being teenagers? How many of you guys are going, I- some of you guys are going, teen reaction. That's like a bazillion years ago. Dinosaurs were calling the How many of you remember what it was like to be a teenager? Remember a moment being mad at your parents? I mean, you were so sure they were dumb and, and they didn't get it. And, and, and in that moment, here's what a teenage heart says All right, all right, all right. If you're going to hurt me, I'll hurt myself. <laughs> I'll hurt myself. And we've seen it, right? If you're going to hurt me, if you're going to do that moment, I'll just hurt myself. Now, some of us have gotten a little bit older. We go, guys, that doesn't make any sense. Go key the car. but Don't hurt yourself. I mean, that's kind of dumb. And yet, 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 you ready for this? We do that in our adulthood. Here's what we do. Okay, God, you're messing my life up. You've let it crumble. You've let it fall. Good. I'm just going to go sin. I'm just going to go sin it up. I'm going to go sin everywhere. I'm going to do everything you told me not to do. I'm going to sin my heart out. (laughs) We'll see. I'll show you, God. And you know what the truth is? We've done that, haven't we? And in that moment, and if we were honest today, some of us would come back and say, the dumbest decisions of my life or in that moment when I was saying to God, okay, God, you disappointed me. You didn't come through. You didn't do what I told you to do. And I am so mad. I'm just going to go sin. And some of us today still live with the regret and the hurt of trying to get even with God by hurting ourselves. So here's what I want to say. Before you let your heart get there, before you decide to throw God away. Would you consider hearing what David does in this moment? Because what David does is so unspeakably powerful. And if you and I could do this in the moments in which our lives are falling apart and it looks like God lost control and we're going, there's no way this is the right plan. If you and I could simply do what David did, It would open a door of grace. And some of us, some of us might even be able to forgive God and get on with life. Go back to the passage. Here's what David does. It's verse 25. Then the king, speaking of David, said to Zadok, picture this, they're heading out of the city. Take The ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, He will bring me back and let me see it and His dwelling place again. But if He says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready to let Him do to me whatever seems good to Him. Guys, do not miss, do not miss two remarkable things that David says in this moment. First one. Take the ark back. Now, you guys remember the ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember what I'm talking about? You know? It's that thing, it kind of glows, woo! And if you're German and open it, your eyeballs melt, you know? That's yeah, okay. Here's it. The Ark was real, and and a matter of fact, at this point in time in history, the Ark was the presence of God. God not only abode in the Ark of the Covenant, but around the Ark of the Covenant, and that was His presence. And unbelievably powerful things happened by being with the Ark, in the presence of the Ark. Matter of fact, Israel never loses a battle when the Ark is there. Matter of fact, there was one moment when the Philistines actually captured the Ark and had it for a little while. They started winning all the battles. There, there's a moment when they were moving the ark and they got tired of moving it and they left it for a while at a guy's farm. His corn grew higher than his house and all of his goats were having like quintuplets everywhere. I mean, it was like, Woo, man, you want the ark, you know? I mean, it is just this unbelievably powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like God's rabbit foot thing going on. You want the ark. And in this moment, think about this. David says, send the ark back. Now, guys, for you and I, knowing that it's a little weird, but can I just tell you that if you had been the people of Israel in that moment, you're going, David, David, have you lost your mind? But well, why would you ever send the ark back? It's actually an amazing defining moment in the life of David. You know what David's saying? You ready? He's saying, I'm done. I'm done trying to manipulate God. See, if this was old David, I'd take the ark with me so that I could say to God, See God, I've got the ark, I've got your presence, so you have to bless me. You have to fix this for me. And he says, I'm done. I'm done twisting God's arm behind his back, and trying to say, God, you need to do what I need you to do and what I want you to do. You realize we, we do the same thing, right? See, here's what we think. We think if I can just gain enough chips with God then, then whenever God starts to do something that I don't want God to do, then I cash in my chips. It's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, God gets a little bit weird, starts doing... And then I go, whoa, 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 God, you can't do that to me. Remember, I've got my chips. Remember that time I went to church three weeks in a row in uh, 1995. But I, I got that chip. I got that chip. And and so you owe me, God, because I did something good for you. So now you've got to do something good for me because I got the chip. And and then, God, remember there was that moment and I I walked in the door and the dog had peed on the floor and everything inside of me just wanted to kick the dog. And then I said to myself, what would Jesus do? So I just threw the dog instead, you know. So it's a chip. It's a chip you know and and so you know you owe me because I did a good thing and 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 so what we do is we we keep doing the stuff for God, but our hearts say okay you you understand how this works right lord that that whenever you start to do something that I don't approve of or that I don't like then then what I get to do is i get to You you can't do that, God, because you owe me because I've got a chip. You know what David's saying? I'm just done. I'm done trying to convince God He owes me. And that He ought to be so thrilled about what I've done for Him and... I'm just done twisting God's arm to do what I want Him to do. Because you guys, you realize that if you and I try to experience God that way, we reduce God to a genie. And as long as I rub the lamp the right way or as long as, long as I get enough points, then God is obligated to do for me what I want Him to do for me when I want Him And in a moment when God's not doing anything the way David wants it done, hear what David says I'm done. I'm done trying to twist God's arm to my will. I'm done. Send the ark back. Second amazing statement. Let's go back to the passage. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready, get this, let him do to me whatever seems good to him. You get what David just said. He said, God, see, I had all these plans. Absalom was going to be king. He was going to take care of me in my retirement. Life was on cruise control from here on out. And it's gone. And it's gone. And in that moment, David takes all of his plans all of his hopes, everything he expected God to do for him. And he says, God, just do whatever you think is good for me. And whatever that is, if I never see my kingdom again, My son is never restored to me. God, just do whatever you believe is good for me. Wow. God, if I never make vice president, God, if I never drive that car, if my house is never any bigger than it is today, if I never have kids, if I never get married, Just do for me whatever you believe is good for me. That's different. That's amazing. Let me tell you what David avoids. Let me tell you what David doesn't do that you and I would be so likely to do in this moment. Three things. Number one, David has learned not to make his faith dependent on God behaving the right way. You're not saying, hey God, look, look, look. You didn't approve this plan with me. See, I didn't, I didn't wake up in the morning and go, hey, let's lose the kingdom today. I vote for that. Ooh, what a, that is the best plan. Done. And you get, he has basically said, look God, my faith in you is not dependent in you doing what I told you to do. Or what I expected you to do. And you're still God. You ready for this? Even if, in my mind, you disappoint me. is that amazing? Second thing. He did not wrap his faith around timing or style. I mean, think about this. David's old. David's going... This is the wrong time. And have you ever noticed about that about God? God's timing stinks. Have you noticed that? I mean, when's the last time you woke up and said, Man, what? How cool. This is exactly when I needed a problem. Man, if I was mapping my life out, I would have said, Put a problem right there. And God did it. Oh, man, is he smart. You realize God's timing always stinks. And he never does it the right style. It's not how I would have done it. Third thing. He did not put his hand to try to fix it. God, oh, is that huge? How many times have I tried to fix God? How many times have I said, God? No, 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 no. Let me show you. I'll fix it for you, and then I'll, you know, after I get done fixing it for you, then I'll go back to church. Or then I'll start reading my Bible again. But right now, you need some help. So I'll just fix it, and then we'll talk. Some of you are going, okay, well, let me see if I get this. Let me see if I get this. You're saying to me that when, 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 when life is falling apart, when, when God is blowing it, that what I'm supposed to say is, God, I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to try to make you do what I want you to do. And, and to say to God, whatever you think is good, do that. And I hear some of the hearts are going, "Man, that just sounds like, Fatalism. I mean, that just sounds like kind of like my life's mission is K, Sirah, so Sirah. So <laughs> no, no, God. No, no, no. In that moment, what I'm saying is, God is God, and I'm not. That's what I'm saying. And He's bigger than me, and He's smarter than me, and His plans are better than mine. And you realize the other option? You know what the other option is? The other option is rage. The other option is to spend my lifetime shaking my fist at God and saying, you blew it. You didn't do it my way. I am so mad at you. How could you let that? Why did you let that? Answer me, God. You realize the only other option is Rage. Which leaves a bunch of us in here today having to figure something out. Because the truth be told, some of us walked in this room going, I don't even know how God and I are doing because I've got this moment. I've got this thing in my past where I am just so confident that God got out of control and God made a mistake and I am not only angry about that, I am paralyzed to ever trust Him again in the future because what if He did that again? And if you and I could only say what David said. God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done twisting your arm to do my plan. And I'm simply saying today this. Do with me. Even if it means I never find that other person. Even if it means I I never get the raise. Even if it means... They never love me back. Do with me whatever seems good to you. Because you're God and I'm not. And you don't owe me a thing. Let's bow our heads. Can I tell you that God has given every one of us who are willing to let Him be God and us not. Who are willing to say, God, do for me just whatever it is that seems best to you. A promise. Let me speak that promise to you with your heads back. Here's what God says to you. In all these things, you are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. For neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you Dear Assembly Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. Some of us need to let you off the hook. Some of us need to say, there is, there's this moment in my life that didn't turn out the way that I would have planned it and God didn't do what I would have done. We just need to stop today. Stop trying to twist your arm, getting you to behave the way we want you to behave and bow the knee and take all of our dreams and all those things that we planned for ourselves and lay them at your feet and simply say, Dear God, here's my life. Here's my hopes and my dreams and everything I ever thought I wanted. Would. would you simply do Today we're going to take communion. And those of you that have been around a while, you know that how we do this is the praise team is going to sing in just a moment. And that's going to give you a moment to go before God and just settle whatever you need to settle. And I would just encourage you in light of today's message, that you would just take the time to prepare your heart to be able to say to the Lord, Hey Lord, do with me whatever seems best to you." And when your heart is ready, you just get up out of your seat, you make your way forward, you'll serve yourself between you, and then get back. Would you do some business with God today? The truth is, as we get ready to leave this place today, some of us need to let God off the hook. Because we walked in here. disappointed at the very least scared to death to ever trust Him again. Because our childhood didn't turn out the way we had planned. We didn't get the job. And we just need to be able to say today, I'm done. I'm done telling you how my life ought to be. And so I'm going to take what I thought it was and I'm going to lay it at your feet and here's what I'm going to say. Do for me whatever you think is good. Let's bow our heads. Dear Assembly Father, I'm just going to ask that you would help us get to this point. God, the truth is there's some of us in this room who are going to walk out of here and still be struggling with this and that's okay. But could we spend this week trying to figure this out. And would you wrestle with us, Lord, until we finally get to that moment in our lives when we can say, no longer my plans, no longer what I've decided God ought to do for me. God, here's my hopes and my dreams and my plans and what I expected. God, would you simply do for me whatever you think is best. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you for being in this place. Some of you are going to have questions. I'll be at the front. We'll spend time.